what we've been seeing from Zion lately, like he's been like playing like an MVP candidate. And if he could stay healthy and continue to play on this dominating level, I truly believe that the Pelicans are capable of beating anybody. Welcome to the CJ McCollum Show. As always, I'm being joined across my screen by Izzy Gutierrez. We have a very, very special guest in Mark, although some people may mistake him as Marcus <laughs> Spears. I know. You got Mark Spears, then Marcus Spears. Marcus Spears played football at LSU. I got my master's at LSU. Mm. Um, and we we get, uh, I get called Marcus all the time. I don't think he gets called Mark. Well, just so you know, we sent the first email in this uh, this exchange for this uh, to Marcus Spears, and he sort of yeah. set us straight there. Well, not me, yeah, but yeah, the collective yeah. us. It, it, it's typically myself that gets the short end, but Swagoo is quite popular, so I, I get it. <laughs> I don't have my own merch yet. I will say that he's a little bit darker skin. He has a full uh, beard, mustache combination, right? So I I, I still yeah. don't understand how people mistake you guys. Not for as one handsome. Another. It's not as handsome. <laughs> But I, I I do think we're really related. For real? Like seriously, yeah. We're both uh have family from Liberty, Mississippi. Hmm. And I do not know many of the relatives on my dad's side and which is from there. And uh it's like how many spears is there from Liberty, Mississippi, right? We're not talking about New York City here. Right. So we're I'm pretty we're pretty we call each other cuss. That's dope. I love yeah. I love to see that and I love to hear that. I know your time is precious, so we want to get right into a lot of different topics um, on the podcast today. You're currently in New Orleans. For those that aren't familiar, um, Mark and I do a um, monthly blogger diary, if you will, where we just kind of go through, you know, state of the union, if you will, not just uh, the state, union. Of, state of the CJ. State of the CJ, all things CJ, Pelicans, my life, things that are happening within Union. So we are we actually had our sit-down talk today. That'll come out on Friday. Uh, but Mark was kind enough to join our podcast. So we're going to talk about a lot of different things going across the NBA. Um, I think it's only right that we start with the Pelicans. Um, of course. It just, it, just, it just makes sense. So I'm interested in you guys' thoughts on the Pelicans so far this season. I'll give you a couple of stats, and then I'll let you talk, and then I'll give my um, mm. feedback and opinion. But as it stands right now, as of today when we're recording this, we're fifth-best offense in the NBA, sixth-best defense. Um, Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson, and I'm not going to use my name in third person, myself, uh, <laughs> have played all of eight games together. Yeah. If you would have been told that – CJ, Brandon, Zion, just did it in third person, have played three games, uh, eight games together so far through 30 plus. And we were fourth in the West, a game and a half out of first um, in the West and top five in offense and defense. Would you have believed that before the season started? Both of you. Go with Mark first. And how many games has Herb missed? Herb Jones. Six. I mean, there's that. I mean, he's 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 not big three, but he's important too and and so he's been gone i i had high expectations for you guys going into the season but no i wouldn't have believed that i definitely wouldn't have believed that like to me my assumption was all of your success would be predicated on their pelicans big three being healthy and it's 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 early but it is you got to come out here for a game like 
they got this city rolling right now, man. Like the little the buzz is 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 big, and um, I think home environment is helping you guys. Like it, it's it's hot, it, it's hot at these games, and these fans here are thirsty for something special, and they feel it. And like I know what CJ is gonna give, I know what Bi is gonna give, but I'm very concerned about his injury right now, which we could get back to, but what we've been seeing from Zion lately, like he's been like playing like an MVP candidate. And if he could stay healthy and continue to play on this dominating level, I truly believe that the Pelicans are capable of beating anybody if, if healthy. Yeah. I mean, that's where I still am with this. Like you guys have a championship roster and like, I realized that after uh, recognizing um, how well Trey can play um, and watching Herb last year, uh, that, jump that Jose made you can tell probably within the first two weeks of the season um and then you've got sort of that that stable steady whether it be you know Larry Nance uh Devonte Graham you know Dyson Daniels is a nice young player that gives you some some good minutes looks like a nice talent and then you know really Hernan Gomez and then to me I think uh the way JV plays and, and last yeah. night, was it yesterday um he had like a career high uh, career high season high 37 and he's sort of I think such a, a a great fit for everything uh that you guys do um and i think you know if he stays out of foul trouble and you know finishes uh around the rim and i think all the pieces are there and i think the part that's sort of disconcerting is like i've you know we've seen this happen with teams right where um they find a little bit of a rhythm maybe with somebody out or whatever and then maybe you never actually get it to the full potential with everybody there and so where i'm curious cj is like <clears throat> Offensively, I don't think there's really a whole lot of question marks uh, because, um, A, that's where, like, you know, when B.I. comes back in, it's just a lot more options. But where do you guys see as your, like, identity, uh, whereas when everybody's healthy, it's not going to matter who gets the point. It's, hey, this is how we're playing. Like, are you guys there yet? I think we're getting there. I think there's much room for improvement on both sides of the ball. I'm actually surprised our defense is six after, after the last week we've had with – um, losing to the Jazz, obviously they blew us out in game one. Game two, we competed more, but we still gave up a lot of points in the paint, gave up a lot of offensive rebounds, a lot of second chance points, and we weren't great in transition. But that was like a small sample size on the 30-game metric. And then you look at the loss to the Phoenix Suns where we blow a 24-point lead, showing signs of a young team, signs of lack of execution, not being able to maintain um, a consistent level of play that's necessary to beat that type of team. And then we lose to a tough Milwaukee team. So I think the sample size and considering the fact that this is a what have you done for me lately league where people tend to um, give too much or read too much into a week or a weekend or a couple games, I think our body of work will speak for itself. The fact that we've been hurt and still can maintain a, a high level play shows our depth. I think our identity will be obviously offensively because of the super talent that we have. He talked about JV, right? Having like 37 and 18 and nobody's really talking about it. That shows you how dominant our team is as a whole. Zion's playing at MVP caliber level. We haven't had BI in, in over a month and we know what he has to bring to the table. So offensively, I think we're going to figure that out. That's going to figure itself out. I think it's about hanging our hat on the defensive end, understanding that we need to be a top 10 defensive team. We need to work on the small things to be a top five defensive team. And that's the difference between 50 plus wins 
and being a six, seven, eight seed. And that's the difference between us hosting a home playoff game and having to go on the road. And I think we're all starting to understand that. We're starting to understand how good our offense will become even better when we get stops. It's easier to get out and run when you're getting stops, when you're not giving up second chance opportunities. So I said all this to say that I'm not worried because we'll have a guy like Trey who's, you know, playing starters minutes, but maybe coming off the bench, right? And that'll make our team better. That'll make us more deep. But it'll also give us another 6'8 to 6'10 guy that we can use to switch one through four or one through five when Z's going to the five. And you know what? JV is going to be that guy, too, that's going to win you, like, two playoff games, right? When one of the big threes not really doing well or maybe when he's rolling. Like right. he, I feel like having that weapon offensively as your number four guy, having him and Zion and Larry like owning the boards is is critical to the team's success as well. So I I think JV is uh if, if that's your number four or five guy, that's that's pretty good. CJ, you guys have had since the last pod we did, and this is, I love, we're recording it on Wednesday. Last week, we also recorded on Wednesday, which is my favorite, because we could just talk about it as if it's in the present. Um, it's four-game losing streak right now at that last one to Milwaukee. Um, but the, you had the interesting game against Utah, the second one, the loss in overtime, uh, and then the loss at Phoenix. Um, anything in these three that stand out? Because there's one thing from the Milwaukee game that stood out to me, but I'm just curious, anything from these three, uh, the last three that stood out to you in terms of, you know, not necessarily like a red flag or anything, but just something that kind of caught you and you realize, hmm, maybe this is something to note. Well, one of the things I address with the team is that I got to be better down the stretch of games, not just scoring, but putting us in the right position to succeed, whether that's play calling, whether that's spacing, whether that's making sure Z has space, making sure that we're still giving the big fella touches, right? Like not losing track or sight of how we get to that point in the game, right? You know, you get to five minute mark, right? Where it's considered clutch time right um under two minutes within five points like that's the playoffs right that's winning losing games that's taking care of the ball that's no second chance opportunities that's getting out and running getting pass aheads just making sure i'm cognizant of play calling spacing who's getting touches and when it's time to you know you know put that put that force and in, imprint into the game but I, I i take credit for some of the lack of execution because i got to do a better job but i think that the other part of it is for our team is going through growing pains. I think it's extremely important, right? Like, Cause when you're having success in your young team, everybody praises you. It's woe is me. We're great. We're this, we're that. We're the only team in the NBA top 10 in this and that. But when you start to lose games, it's important that you keep your integrity, you keep your character. You don't start to point the finger like, Oh, it's his fault. It's his fault. It's how can I get better personally and bring that to the team? And I think that's the mindset that we have. And I said it to the team earlier in the season. I said, we're going to go through a rough patch and it's important. We respond well, and it's important that we buckle up and you beat teams that are under 500. You compete against teams that are over 500 and you win games against championship caliber teams or show that you can stay in those types of games for confidence, but also so that we're having the winning mentality and approach as we get closer to April. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. 
Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac, weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Uh, see, I was going to tell you, y'all got a rivalry now, too. I, I love that Suns rivalry. There's not a lot of rivalries in the NBA, but I could watch Suns Pelicans every day. Y'all do not like each other. They're like bitter that they pushed y'all. And what we saw from Zion, that first of those three games recently, the anger on that 360 dunk, the beauty of that 360 dunk, the reaction of the crowd, the anger from the Suns. Like, I really felt like we were in the playoffs, man. Like, watching that game was like, I could feel the intensity. But to me, that was not only a statement to the Suns game, that was a statement to, would you agree with that? Kind of a statement to the NBA from him. And from the Pelicans that y'all y'all are, are for real. Yeah, I think you're right in a lot of aspects. Nationally televised too. Yeah, I think you're right in a lot of what you said. For us, it's about competing. It's about challenging teams and challenging players, and it's a respect level that you have for certain teams, right? You respect what they've been able to accomplish. You respect the personnel. You respect the greatness in those players, and out of respect, you have to go at them. And I think. We have that mentality to where you respect everybody, but you go at everybody, understanding that we're competing. We're trying to get better. We're trying to build winning habits. And we're trying to hold ourselves to a certain metric and a certain measurement to where we're getting better as the season progresses and working on things that we weren't necessarily good at in previous years, right? Like we gave the Suns a run for their money, but we still lost 4-2. So that shows you the growth and development that we have to make Um as a unit, obviously, you add in Z, you add in the year of us playing together, more familiarity, all that stuff, and development from within. But, you know, you have to have that chip on your shoulder to understand that that's a team that has championship aspirations, right? They've been to the finals. They have, you know, a Hall of Famer and then another Hall of Famer in book, right? And a great coach. So you have to be able to rise to that level and exceed those expectations, but also exceed their physicality, exceed their anger, exceed their excitement, exceed the, the level of play that they have in order to be able to see where you're at. And obviously there's growth that's going to happen throughout the season. But I think the rest of the league knows that we're a good team. We're continuing to improve. And um, it, it could get scary for a lot of guys as the season progresses and for a lot of teams. But we got to collectively continue to put it together and stay healthy. And there's a lot of question marks for every team in the NBA centered around health, but also centered around opportunity and matchups. It's it's funny you mentioned that with the playoffs, Mark, because I was going to ask CJ about um, the one thing that I noticed was in this last game against the Bucks. um, Zion, not the best of games, and it was a lot of uh, Drew Holiday defending him. And so I'm wondering if teams have maybe adjusted to a little bit more uh, of what he does, especially, you know, from the top and creating plays. 
I think it was a combination of things. Obviously, him and Drew were teammates, first of all. Drew's an all-world defender. He's quick. He's one of the rare wing guards that is strong enough to guard bigger guys and still quick enough to guard guards. So that's just a unique cover. A lot of teams don't have one of him. And a lot of teams also don't have a Giannis, who's arguably the best help side defender in the NBA, and then a Lopez, who's the best rim protector in the NBA. So that combination of length, athleticism, and wing defense allowed them to kind of mess around with matchups and put Drew on him, knowing that they got help on the backside with rotations. But every team doesn't have that luxury, but that was a good mm. matchup for us and a good test to go against a championship caliber team with length, who shoots threes, who stretches the floor, who's big on sitting in drops, right? They play in drops. They believe in giving up the mid-range shot. They believe in giving up contested twos. That was a great test for us. And it was a tough game situation, all right? You go on a road trip. You know how it is. You've covered the game for a long time. Team that comes back from a long road trip and they come home, that's always, generally speaking, a tough game to play in. Are you uh, surprised on how many teams are the, the parity in the Western Conference right now? Because for both of you guys, like, I don't see nobody clear cut. Like, in, in the East right now, I still feel like Boston's ahead of everybody. You you could roll. You could pick a couple of teams in the West. I've just been really enjoying the parity so far. I haven't played against a lot of teams now. Thirty uh, something games into the season, you can see the competitiveness, not just in the West but in the East as well. But how close the West is. You look at you know from the from the three seed down to the ten seed. It's not a lot of games separating those teams. Those games really matter. Um, if you're a league pass junkie, you probably watch. Uh, Shea hit the game winner against the Blazers the other night. Like every game is competitive each night. Sacramento Kings are having a good season, mm. right? You go to the Eastern Conference, Pacers are playing well this season. Every game kind of matters, right? And I think that's what the league wanted to get to. That's what our fans wanted to get to, where there's more competitive regular season games to where like that random Tuesday, that random Wednesday, like yeah. that could play a factor in seeding down the stretch of the season. And you can't take these games for granted, which is great for our sport and great there's, for our there, fans. There's no night off team, right? No, I mean Orlando, like all those teams. No, that well, historically, I'm just, but I mean in like the West specifically. Yeah, I mean, you look at the top to bottom. Lakers started off struggling, but they were still a top five defensive team. That's still a tough night for for any team going to LA. And obviously, you got LA as a distraction, but you got Brown, who's playing out of his mind. He's playing extremely well. Rotation guys are playing better. Clippers have been banged up, but like they still can beat you. You know, they got basically two starting fives. Top to bottom, the, West the is Spurs strong. have pop even, and some guys that can just lace it, that can just shoot. Kellen and the Johnson, Rockets, man. even though they're super young, are are ridiculous. They, they compete. Talented. They yeah. compete. Like, That's top no... to bottom. Everybody's had a yeah. moment at the top right now. Right now, it seems like it's it's Denver. Uh, it won a couple in a row, and 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 Jokic had the back to back. 40, 27, and ten triple double, and then went 13, 13, and thirteen. And I'm curious, CJ and Mark, because like people said at the end of last year that he'd probably have to average a quadruple double to win a third straight MVP because uh, that's just, you know, people don't love him like that. I don't know why. Um, CJ, is he getting better or is it just is he always this guy and he's always going to be right up there with the top three players in the league? I think he's certainly gotten better. I think if you look at the development of his game from when Nurk was his teammate, to now, you can see the incremental improvement. You can see the poise. You can see the skill set. I think to show his growth, right? I think this is the year in which he's taken the least amount of shots in his last 
three or four seasons. He's not shooting the ball as much. He's passing more. He's kind of reading, filling things out and empowering his teammates, probably more than he's ever done before. And the difference is that they've had some injuries as a team, right? We played against them and uh, tall shooter didn't play. I'm going to call him tall shooter for right now. He didn't play in the game, right? And that's a guy who's essentially flirting with 50, 40, 90. He was a huge, huge factor in their playoff success in previous years. You look at the fact that Jamal Murray is coming off an injury. Like they're dealing with a lot of different factors. And the Joker is, is done, you know, 24.711. And nine, he's basically almost averaging a triple double. Two percent shooting, too. He like, passes like a globe trotter. <laughs> you see the pass between the legs yesterday? Oh my goodness! <laughs> he's a monster. He he's sweet a, Georgia Brown in the background when he plays. Yeah, I mean, if you it, you could argue this is the best season out of the last three years. Obviously, he averaged twenty seven last year, but from an efficiency standpoint, he's a plus minus eight. His on court, off court, his net is eleven. You could argue, like you said before, a lot of people aren't fans of his game. Maybe he's not aesthetically pleasing with the way he moves on the court, but I like him. Who, who, who are you guys talking about? Not who is he not popular with? I think it's voters fatigue. The fans, voters, I think it's voter fatigue. Yeah, voters. I think it's people, Mark. I think it's people who say, um, "How can he be that good? I haven't seen him in an NBA Finals yet. Yeah. How can he be that good? They haven't won sixty games. Yeah. How can he be that good? He doesn't defend for a big man the way other people think." you know, big men defend. And so if they have to dive into analytics, they don't want, they don't want to know, you know what I'm saying? I think I'm not saying everybody, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to like uh, generalize here, but I think, you know, and there is just a sense of um, deserving to see somebody else because unless he makes that leap to again, like 62 wins and, you know, 30, 10 and 10, then, you know, there's other, there's been debates other years. So why not to me? I, I think like, me personally, I think it's Jason Tatum's award right now. Um, and if they stay, you know, above sort of the the fray in the East and he stays, you know, 30 plus points a game, I think he's going to get his. Uh, but I think some of that's going to be because of the fatigue even, because I think it's possible you could argue that Jokic does more for his team than yeah. Jason Tatum did. So that's what I think it is. And and I do think it comes from, like CJ said, like style of play, like um, – does he look like he's, you know, busting his ass all the time? No, doesn't. Looks like a loaf of bread sometimes, walks like a loaf of bread. But uh, probably the best basketball player right now, you know, alive. Yeah, but but uh, you know so. what? I think the people that least respect him are the fans. Like when you mm-hmm. look at the jersey sales, like in, in Izzy knows this. Maybe see this is some uh, inside baseball stuff. Like. As a writer, it's important to look at jersey sales because that's who's reading our stories, right? So people that are in the top 20, I might tend to try to write something more about them because fans are like, and I don't, maybe I'm wrong, but like Joker don't don't sell jerseys. And he doesn't I, really lend himself to like he's personable, but he doesn't do a whole lot of media. Oh, I mean, he but what are we, what are we any no, he doesn't want to do any interviews, and Lucas the same. Yeah, and you don't see them on commercials, like they don't promote promote themselves at all. I think they're, uh, in a lot of ways, playing it safe with the media. They're playing it safe as, in terms of promoting themselves. Um, like I would love to see Joker and Luca do commercials. I think they would be amazing. Like they both have some personality, but maybe there's something to being from another country, being from Europe, where you're like, look, I ain't from here. I don't want no drama. 
if it ain't about basketball, I'm not doing it. And those two superstars who you might find somebody that argue that they're the top two players in the league, right? What do you know about them? Exactly. That all is I a know skill. Is that, That's a Derek Jeter skill know to do that like, in this day and age. Joker's two brothers are tough. That's all I know about him. Like, anytime <laughs> something happens, his brother's going to beat somebody up. And, and Luca, and, and he likes some horses. That's it. I don't know. I've, I've never known a superstar in this league that I've never known so that I've known so little about. Yeah. You guys bring up some great points. And I think the other side to this is that they've been pros for so long. They're probably tired of what comes with being a pro. And I think we don't get that same fatigue, if you will, because we don't become pros at 13 or 14. Like Luca been a pro since he was 14 years old. So I think he's yeah. probably tired with the things that come associated with being a pro. How many media days do you think he's had since he was 13 or 14? You know what I mean? Being the it's face. It's crazy. Like it's, it's probably. I'm sorry to interrupt, but you, you, th you see that in him. You see him doing the, the canned answers as a rookie, like because he knows, hey, if I don't say anything interesting, they're not coming back to me. Like you're right. He's already learned that. But it, do you yeah. think it's also like a European thing? Like they're used to make zones. Their access uh international basketball is not the same as the NBA. So like they, they walk off the court, they have the mix zone by. Maybe there's a press conference. You're not going in the locker room. You know, I don't I don't know what the practice access is, but I think they're sticking to the safe script. Get my money, cost of living is way cheaper where I'm from. Take it home and be come home in one piece. No drama, yeah. you know, and they're leaving money on the floor. I've I've heard that Lucas turned down commercials, uh, but they're not broke. Like, and maybe maybe they do have a bunch of commercials back no. in Europe that we're not we're not you know uh, uh, able to see. It's got to be a sense of like mental health with uh, at you know element of that right where it's just like uh, yeah I do want to be or maybe the greatest basketball player but I don't want everything else that comes with it. I don't want all the fame. I want to be a little bit more private. I want that Michael Jordan life. And I want to do a documentary where people learn stuff about me instead of everything being on, you know, social media every other week. I yeah. do think they both should. And, and this is, I don't know, maybe my media bias for sure, but I think they need to let the fans in some more. They they need to give them something, let them, let them in, let them get some of their personality because I think that's the only thing. Like Luca is so spectacular that he could get away with it. Like he, the the stuff he does. But in terms of Joker, like he's just some big old dude. Look like he just came in from the park, right? Like <laughs> I, I think in order for him to really capture the fan standpoint, he has to open up more. We got to know something. Like I don't know nothing about this dude. And I, and I think that has had an after effect on, like, I think fans appreciate him. But outside of Colorado, I've never seen anybody with a Joker jersey on. That's true. And I will say this. I know he likes horses. I know he enjoys riding uh, riding horses. He rides in that little horse thingy. I've seen it on Twitter. Um, when the season ends, he he, <laughs> he wins his MVP and he goes home and plays video yeah. games and, and rides horses. He owns a bunch of horses and um in a horse league, I got an MVP question for you guys. So yes. I've had this discussion with my friends in the group chats for many years. Is MVP most valuable player of the league or most valuable player on your team? First question. 
how do you judge it, right? Because MVP could mean a lot of things to a lot of different people, right? Like, is it the best player in the league? Is it the most dominant player in the league? Or is it the most valuable player who impacts his team in all those ways to make his team better? Because this is like a multifaceted question that a lot of people answer differently. And I'm curious go how ahead, you Mark. guys answer. No, Izzy, go first because mine's long. Okay. I mean, mine's not short either. Uh, and so I think... First of all, I always say you got to look at it like in a vacuum, just one single year. Do not talk about last year. Do not talk about anything else. It's just this one year's performance, right? Um, and to me, in terms of like the the you know the way to describe it is, who is most responsible for his team's high level success? And so you eliminate to me the bad teams right away because you could have somebody averaging thirty and ten, and it's just like yeah, you're not going to elevate your team. You're not an MVP. Um, and then at that point, you just sort of have to take, I think, the statistical you know, differences and, and dive in and just figure out, hey, if because that's all we have, uh, is figure out which one meant more to his team that was, again, succeeding at a high level. And uh, I yeah, I don't know if it gets much more complicated than that, because I know a lot of people like to, you know, make it a, a, a lifetime achievement award or he deserves his MVP or something like that. Nah, I don't think it should be retroactive just because you've been close a few times. And I'm trying to think of what else that is that people complain about the MVP award. Um, Get the yeah, team I think switch it's one. The, the one where they say again? switch, switch their teams, put him on that team and him on that team. Like well, that's entirely different because you can you could you know change an entire like LeBron James could probably play in this system, still look like an MVP, and then go to an entirely different system and still look like an MVP. And so I think that you know it just you would just have to see it before you can believe it. But, but somebody else can play with other teammates and still be that level of good. Um, so I, I'm pretty sure there's some things you're gonna just knock in what I said there. So I'll try to answer those uh, at least one at a time. But you go, Mark. Well, I'm gonna be the grumpy old man. Okay. Um I first of all, I think it's tough because it's it becomes uh like a voting for a homecoming queen or king or queen. It's a popularity contest. Like being completely real, like no one is giving any guidelines. It's just vote. Here, scroll down, pick who you want. There's no guidelines. So Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. What I think is beautiful, somebody else may not think is beautiful. In my mind, winning matters a lot because all the top players have great stats. But that's probably been my problem with Joker is they're always like fourth or fifth. So I, I would have a hard time voting for him MVP because, and then someone will say, well, Jamal Murray's been out. And my, Michael Porter Jr. has been out, right? Okay. But winning, like, that's why I think Tatum's, like, number one right now uh, in a lot of ways because of record. But, CJ, I don't vote no more. I stopped voting, like, five years ago. And the reason why I blame Howard Beck, okay? Hmm. I call it the Howard Beck rule. I blame him because Howard pushed – for us to be accountable and put the names of the people that we are voting for. When I vote for the president, it's private. So why does it have to be public when I vote for MVP of the league, the most improved player? And I remember the first year it was available, I had somebody, I'll just say it now, I'm not going to say their name. I had somebody from the Rockets tell me, well, why would you vote for Russ 
over James Harden. James Harden gives you more interviews. James Harden's more <laughs> accessible to you. So <laughs> if you don't vote for James, then and you know Russ don't talk to y'all anyway. If you don't vote for James, James is going to see it, and he's going to hold it against you if you don't vote for him. I know there are players who will specifically go and look. Once the reporters are named, Mark Spears didn't vote for me. Stein didn't vote for me. Chris Haynes didn't vote. You know what I mean? I ain't doing interviews with Brian Winhorse no more. I know Brian doesn't vote, but like – they hold grudges based on I had a after an all-star game, I, I voted and some player screamed at me for not voting for him for MVP of an all-star game. Right? Because he saw who I voted for. Um, I still do all-star game vote. I still do, you know, MVP of the finals. But the reason why, the main reason why I don't vote for regular season awards anymore. Is because it affects a guy like CJ's pocket. Like you got bonuses that are based on you getting MVP, first team, second team, third team, defensive player of the year. And I don't think it should be public because if it's public, people will know that my vote affected somebody's pocket. And I just, I don't like that. I don't feel comfortable with that. And I would love for the NBA to go back to making it anonymous. Um, but I, you know, I do think that they think, well, then the homers is going to vote for their people and and get away with it. I don't know. But... I do. I do want to get to CJ's reasoning for asking the question. But I, Mark, yeah. I think like the, the, people hate to hear this answer because it's just media defending media. But yeah. like we are trained to be objective. Like that's that's supposed to be at least the actual journalists who have, you know, yeah. trained. Um and so it would seem like it it would be the right choice, right? Because like it's hard to you can't make it, you know, teammates or players yeah. who have certain biases or whatever. And so it's just like it's yeah. probably never going to be a perfect system. But I am with you on the anonymity. But part but no, it, it it's it, it's it direct. Is, it's a direct correlation. It affects my ability to do my job, which is ultimately most important. Players like I'm not going to talk to you because you didn't vote for me for MVP. That's a problem. If if my vote affects their money, that's a problem. So I think the best solution is to go back to being anonymous. Tim Frank, <laughs> Adam Silver, like, come on. This is, this is I, put the, I put the toothpick in here, bro. This is, a, <laughs> this is an interesting dialogue. And I think you guys are both right in your own regards. I think as players, we want to know who's who, right? And I, I know how to differentiate between someone having their own personal opinion, which is respectable. Like you don't have to vote for me for things and I'm going to still do interviews because I like interviews, but if I just don't want to do an interview with somebody, it's not going to be because they voted for me or didn't vote for me, but I'm objective. Right. And I'm just going to do the job and, and get it done. So I do get what you're saying for certain players holding grudges, but I think players just want to know who's voting for who, because as you said before, there are some homers. Everybody doesn't do the job the way that you guys do your jobs. And that's the issue. Everybody doesn't do their job as an NBA player, the way that I do my job. And that's different type of issue that we're facing but i think the clarity CJ, CJ, is helpful guys, for certain you guys people. should be voting for yourselves but y'all be making these weird selections all the time to be funny <laughs> talking about like zaza Pachuya? yeah like, <laughs> like shout if, to zaza yeah I, I mean you guys know better you're the ones that are in the trenches we are but, but the but, issue but is like you said don't take it serious Guys won't take it seriously or they'll, like you said before, vote for their friends and you'll have the eighth man on the team getting a lot of votes because 
people like him or just wanted to vote for him. So there is no perfect answer. I think I think generally speaking, the media gets it right. Like the 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 guys that should be in the finals for a lot of these awards should be in the finals for one of those awards. And it's kind of like a coin flip. And like you said before, it's opinion. Like, do you like French fries or do you like tater tots? They're both good. Yeah. Uh, today I'm feeling tater tots. You know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. that's kind of how the selection is probably. Especially if they're a rider. They're a rider. And it's, like, yeah. <laughs> it's like Mark said too, at the top with the, the best of the best players, it's sort of razor thin. If you can, you can find stats to back your argument for any of the players. Right. So when, and then, with that razor thin margin, like it still includes games that maybe, I don't know, maybe Giannis only played 10 minutes because he, you know, turned an ankle or whatever, or, or, or maybe, you know, Zion didn't have a great game because CJ was, you know, hit 11 threes that day and didn't, you know, get a chance to, to, to score much. And so you just start thinking, well, do, do we eliminate those games from consideration? Because he didn't drop in value any during that game. It just let somebody else do it. And so I think that's when it becomes an opinion. It becomes more uh, sort of knowledgeable with a specific team and why, like, I might know more about the Bucks and why Giannis is so good as opposed to, you know, the Sixers and Joel Embiid because I didn't watch as much. And so then I'm just studying the numbers in that case. So there is a lot of you know, opinion that's going to be shaped by whoever's voting. But that's why if you sort of spread it out enough to where it's a lot of informed, you know, trusted voters, then I think, you know, the right person or, you know, the one with with the most common uh, consensus of opinion ends up winning it. And sometimes you're going to get, you know, Shaq winning it and one guy votes for Allen Iverson and everybody's going to be talking about mm -hmm. that one guy. And it's just like, why? It, Shaq won it. It's OK. Like it, well, it, we can have different opinions. But let me ask you this, both of y'all. Why do people care so much about an MVP award in December? Like, that's the thing I've never understood. Like, so much changes between now and April when the vote actually takes place. And it's like this, like, this is like college football or something. Like, this is <laughs> like top 25 every week, you know? So much is going to happen between now and then. I just don't understand why it's such a big deal from the start of the season. It it's does bring give... up a big point. Sorry, CJ, go ahead. I was just going to say it's to give fans something to talk about. It's the same reason why, as a kid who was in college, like you want to be ranked in the top 25 or receiving votes. And you want to see where you're at because when you're going head-to-head, -head, it creates this narrative, right? And then they can do the the highlight package real where it's Joker versus Embiid. He's number two on the MVP rankings. He's number one. They're going to go head to head. The storylines are better. Games, yeah. It sets it up. That's the only thing I can think of that makes sense. See, that's that's the journalist in you that's coming out. Uh, well, I'd rather I, that be the I, case, I, I like, Mark. You, you sold me. You sold me on that. I'd rather I the, look at the it unnecessary or early MVP talk. I'm sorry, I'd rather have the early MVP talk because it sort of forces you to at least pay attention to the game some, right? Because a lot of these other topics that we talk about, whether it's off the court stuff, it's like, you know, changing teams where you're not even like discussing what's going on on the court currently. And I feel like we, we, but the generally in the NBA, we've done a poor job of that lately. And I think late uh, when CJ was mentioning earlier, how many close games there have been, I think that's just been really good for the league because we've been focusing on those. We've been focusing on a lot of finishes and, you know, maybe some refereeing uh, late in those games. But I, I do think that focusing on the game is a good thing. 10 seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships, your skills, your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. 
from the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash network. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. And speaking of refereeing, I was curious to get um, probably more Mark's opinion because I don't know if CJ can say things without getting a money out of his pocket but mark you've you've watched enough nba this year you've watched enough nba over the years refereeing this year mm, this especially questionable have you noticed anything um, have you seen anything what i've noticed and cj could definitely answer this more than i can is i don't wreck like i used to 15 years ago i could tell you 75 percent of the referees names Javi, you know, uh, just on and on and on. I could tell you different people's names and knew who they were. And they had Bavetta, you know. Um, you just just knew who all these different guys were. And now, like, I don't know who these men and women are. Like, Zach Zarber is like the OG now, <laughs> right? Like, I, I, and so uh, also think that the new referees are so robotic man like they don't seem like they have fun and the OGs used to have fun they used to be a part like I miss Dick Babetta and some of his antics I miss Joey Crawford and some of his antics and how they have fun or um, Javi getting into it with Nick Van Exel and and Dan Issel and, and not being allowed to referee the Nuggets because of that like you don't have that anymore like they're just robots making calls and no like give like some of these texts are just like silly man like it too by the book relax have some fun the worst referees are the ones that you'd notice the great referees are the ones you never talk about because there's no you know they just do their job and so I, I i think that that you got a bunch of referees that in the league now that probably have three years or less because they had to bring a bunch of, with COVID, I think CJ can answer this. I think they had to bring a bunch of people in faster than they probably needed to because referees were sick and were out. Um, or, you know, so I think there's a learning curve with them. And I bet you CJ could name more referees his second year in the league than he could now. Um. I got to choose my words very wisely. I think I'm going to equate this to like basketball because I play it. Imagine <laughs> you got five guys out in the court and three of them are rookies and two of them are vets. You're going to be able to tell which ones are the rookies or the younger players in the league by preparation, execution, how they're looking around, 
my first couple years in the league, I didn't know all the plays. They call a play. I'm looking like thinking you can see people when they're thinking and they're like, what play is this? Like they're kind of going through that trial and error phase of learning how to be a professional, learning how to execute, finding a DNA, figuring out who you are in this league and what your role is going to be like. But also reaction time. For a player, reaction time is very important. Get the steal, don't get the steal. Come off the screen, split second read, hit the weak side, hit the roll. Do I shoot it? Everything is bang, bang, bang. The more you do it, the more fluid it becomes, the more easy it becomes, the more comfortable you get. The same thing goes for referees to where the vets are the vets. They know how certain players play. They know who's flopping. They know who's the leg kicker, who's not the leg kicker. They know who likes to push off. They know who's carrying, who's traveling. They know in the paint what guys are more physical, what guys aren't as physical. They know how to kind of let the play unfold. They're not afraid to call a whistle late. They're not afraid to not call a whistle at all. Younger guys and girls are more prone, like you said before, to be by the book. They're still trying to figure out players. They're still trying to figure out, can I not call this a charge? Is this a block? If his, if his body's in front, he initiates the contact. Who initiated the contact? Like They're still trying to figure certain things out. So I think that's why you're noticing referees. That's why you're noticing that you don't know who they are because there are a lot of younger referees who are learning. And if you get two young referees and a crew, may God bless you. And That's and what I'm finding. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, Iggy. No, I was just saying that's what I'm finding is just that like they're more manipulated by the players are easily manipulated. Like they'll fall for a flop or, you know, the oh hands to the face. Oh, and then, you know, two seconds later, get a whistle. And um, I think there's just more of that. Like, I think there was maybe every once in a while you'd see that one, you know, green ref out there. But I think there's just more of that. And it just shows like, you know, the veteran refs who know what it looks like when you're getting boxed out as opposed to getting fouled. You know, those types of things are like, uh, you know, the players who themselves can sort of manipulate the rest that way. And I think it's it's just been happening a, little, a lot more. And it's just been very uneven and just a lot of bad calls. Like, I know I've sent the text to CJ a couple of times that like, I would have got kicked out twice of that game if I were you, but, because but you it was what? just that bad. We have to give them... A little bit of leeway, too, because the OGs did not have all the camera angles on them. They didn't have the two-minute report on them. I think behind the scenes, it's much tougher for these referees than you notice because they're getting sent tapes of their mistakes. They're getting scolded behind the scenes. How could you mess that up? And so... I think in a lot of ways they're scared to mess up and that's probably causing more mistakes because social media could show something real quick. You know, somebody in the league office can comment. And I remember early on when they started doing more replays and stuff like this and Izzy, you, 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 you oh, oh, head like me. I remember there were some NBA referees that were leaving the college because they felt like they were getting too much scrutiny. Good referees were leaving the college um, probably about 20 years ago. And so now maybe some of these referees are like scared to give leeway, scared to make a mistake because there's so many cameras on them. But then just have more replay. Like the replay will fix it. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah, this yeah. is CJ, I don't know where you stand on this, but like, First of all, one way to, to tell how referees have been doing is success rate on coaches' challenges. And I've been watching a lot of games, and I feel like it's about 95% success rate on coaches' challenges. And the part that drives me mad 
is that there's an awful call in the second quarter and you don't challenge that because you got to save that thing for the end if it's a close game. But if it's a close game, every damn play counts. So why not be able to challenge that one in the second quarter, get it right and hang on to your challenge? That's got to be something the Players Association is talking about, maybe or a competition committee rather. I'll just say I wouldn't be surprised if something's not changed sooner than later in regards to that because I've been beating the drum. And we talk about, like you said before, how close every game is, how important every game is. You need that first quarter call. You need that that foul that that Z didn't really get, but they called. Like you need that foul that Herb didn't really get, but they called. You need it late in the game because those possessions do matter. I think, like I said before, there's ways we can all improve. I think it's just about yeah. collectively studying and having the want to, like the want to get better, the the need to get better. And I think the league and the referees are in line with wanting to get better and needing to get better so that our game can be better. I got two more things. Let me, let me say this real quick. The changes also, I think, are screwing these referees up too. Like last year, James Harden could take five non no, not dribble the ball and take five steps and through the shoot a three and nobody said nothing. Now, you could barely make a mistake and get a travel. I'm I'm like, why did they change? Like first, that's a good correction. That was a good correction, though. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually entertained by those eight eight steps before a shot, though. That was kind of funny. Yeah, that was interesting. But I think the course correction is necessary. They just got to be consistent with the course correction. Like yeah. if that's a travel, when I catch and I jab right and go left and I drag it, it's a travel every time for everybody, no matter yeah. what the time is left on the clock. No and matter if it can who do they that, are. Then we all adjust if it's consistent. If it's not consistent, then it's tougher for us to adjust. I, I had two topics I want to talk about before we get off here. I know Christmas is approaching, so I want to talk about Christmas Day games you guys are looking forward to. First thing, and then the second thing is, we know the Suns just sold for $4 billion. So what does that mean for the state of the NBA if the Suns organization can sell for $4 billion? Where you, where are we going first? Wherever you want, wherever your heart leads you. The thing about the $4 billion thing is, um, I'm curious to how much these expansion teams are whenever they come. Um I'm curious as to when a new TV contract comes, how much that adds to the value of the team. The thing that saddens me is I just think that not not that they're saying I'm, there aren't people of color that have money. I, th- I just worry that people of color are getting priced out of opportunities to own these teams. And I, I don't know if that will change anytime soon. Um, so that, like, I was like, you know, respectfully, another white dude got a T. <laughs> yeah. But I, based on what happened, I don't know if Sarva was trying to get so a brother or woman a team anyway, right? I think Matt, Matt Ishbia, is that how you pronounce it? Yeah. Matt Ishbia. Um, he, was, he was a Michigan State basketball player, right? And he worked with his dad's company, which at the time had like, I think it said like maybe a dozen, half a dozen or two dozen employees. And he worked that or helped that business carry that up till it had like 7,200 employees. And he does have something of a, a decent story there, sort of a grassroots story there. To me, to answer your question, CJ, like the money these days, like yeah. I, 
it means nothing to me. Like the numbers themselves. I mean, you see these baseball contracts that are going out all the time. It's just like, and we talk, we were getting the billions at this point. Like when you've got the Jeff Bezos of the world, like it doesn't mean as much to me. It just means, you know, in terms of the NBA, Hey, these franchise values are going up. It's still healthy. And, you know, if they find a way to, to monetize things like streaming or whatever, uh, it's going to be even healthier and all these franchises are going to have even more money. So, or be worth even more. So to me, the actual number itself, kind of one in year in one year out the other these days but that's because i'm not really sort of the most business uh oriented mind now i do think and i'm gonna be in the minority in this it would behoove the nba to make even more money to put a team in mexico city hmm. and the reason why i say that is mexico city which is being considered as adam silver and Mark Tatum have said is five times the size of New York City. The Capitanes, the G League team, is now in 30 million households in Mexico. Think about that. 30 million because they're on ESPN Mexico. They also have the ability to bring viewership into Latin America with Star Plus. So with Star Plus, all of Latin America is watching. There might be more people having, there's more people that have access to the Capitanes, I believe, than there any team in the NBA. So Mexico City has the arena. They have this ability to take over Mexico, take over Latin America, bring Latin America into the fold like they have done Canada. And there's so much money to print in Mexico and Latin America that that could whoever gets that franchise if they put a franchise there because of the viewership of that team like the I, someone told me the Lakers made more in one week than the Grizzlies making an entire season on television mm -hmm. and CJ would know that better than me but like if you put a team in Vegas that's it's sexy but that's a 50 second TV market Seattle's top 10. I get that. Mexico City jumps to the top ahead of everybody. Hmm. And that's just more money for the league. So don't don't sleep on Mexico City. Total random note. There's a uh, player who plays in the Nas Mexican National League, or he's Mexican, who plays uh, for Dorados de Chihuahua is the name of the yeah. team. Yeah. Uh, his name's Israel Gutierrez. Is he so nice? I won't even be the most famous Israel Gutierrez uh, baseball in basketball. I've never met him. Never met him, but well, he's uh well the fact uh, that you had to introduce him means you're more famous than him. No, maybe definitely not in Mexico. But a seamless transition to the Christmas Day question. Uh <laughs> which one <laughs> am I looking forward to the most? Uh probably Bucks and Celtics. I'm gonna be at Grizz yeah. Warriors, but with no Steph, it kind of takes a little bit of the, the joy out of that one. But I gotta go Bucks, Celtics. Um, I've I've been to my share. I've like I've been to this point uh, at this point in my career, Mark. I'm pretty sure you're the same yeah. way where like Christmas Day is is it's a work day it's not necessarily a holiday and so i've been to my fair share my favorites have, have always been in la um it was either Shaq's first game or christmas day game back when he and kobe uh had that little uh he fouled kobe pretty hard in the lane on his first I was drive at, i was at that game too where somebody yep. wore a t-shirt with a rat kobe head on it yep yep and then, uh, man, Shaq was loved. Uh, and then the second one, LeBron, Dwayne, and Chris Bosh, the first big three game in L.A. 
Um, we kept wondering why they kept matching up the Heat with the Lakers on Christmas Day. It's just like, why do they keep doing this? And it just ends up being great games, and that's why. Yeah. <laughs> no, that that Lakers uh, Heat game is the most memorable one. I don't, CJ, I don't know if you remember watching that. Uh, that was just nasty intensity. It was either you were, you were either with Kobe or you were with Shaq. There wasn't no, you had to pit, and it pit like these Lakers fans against each other. Just really an odd environment. But, like, in terms of the games, yeah, I mean, Bucks celtics is certainly the one that just stands out. Suns, Nuggets, I was really looking for – I'm going to the Warriors game, and and Steph getting hurt took a lot of steam out of that one. But I, I do feel like no Pelicans, no Nets, uh, no Clippers if they're healthy. Like, you can't have everybody, but – there's a couple teams on this list I might have kept home. You know what I mean? Like, let them enjoy the break. Uh, but I always seem to get the 5 o'clock NBA Christmas game, which is the worst, because it's too early to have brunch Christmas, and it's too late to have dinner. So you're stuck eating that miserable meal from the media room on Christmas Day. <laughs> And not have any ability to celebrate with anyone. And it's too late to catch a flight out. Yeah. It's just it's just that five o'clock game, you're just you you don't win. It's it's a work day. Hopefully for that uh Buck Celtics game, uh Jason Tatum's kid doesn't have another birthday party. But but I, I, hey, don't, uh, know if you heard. I don't know if you heard Mark, but he missed the game because his son had a fifth birthday party, and I feel like that's like probably all the talk in Boston right now. <laughs> So, CJ, I, I got to know this. I asked you this earlier today. Like, what is it like, man, to play on Christmas? And are you happy or sad with a ba- uh, a child that's going to have his first Christmas to not be playing that? I'm actually happy that I'll be home for his first Christmas. Um, I love playing on Christmas, and I talked about this with you earlier. I think it's really dope because as a kid, you have a routine, right? Like, you wake up. You open presents, turn the TV on. You know, if you're on the East Coast, you're watching the East Coast early. If you're Pacific time, you're watching early. Um, that early game is usually Knicks, right? Like you're watching an early game and you get that afternoon game. That's probably, you know, depending on in the type of household you live in, you've had breakfast and you're waiting on some food to be done. You might be tasting, you know, some ham or whatever you're having before the rest of the food is done. And you basically eat throughout the entire day, relax, spend time with family, then you become a professional athlete and it completely changes. For one, you become Santa Claus, right? So you're you're the, the provider most of the times for, for gifts for family and friends and things of that nature. But for two, you have to prepare and actually work, right? Like mentally, you go from locked in with your family to having fun opening gifts to having to go back to work mode where you got to focus on game plan execution. You got to be getting a pregame nap if that's what you do. You're getting treatment. You got your time slots to shoot, to work out. You're getting a pregame lift in and it becomes less about the holiday and more about you preparing for work. And then you get back home and the day is over. And I told you about this earlier, Mark, I had, I had the JV game um, on Christmas where you play the latest, <laughs> the latest, the latest time slot. Everybody's yeah. already eaten two or three times. Everybody is tired. Everybody's already opened their gifts up and they may get through the first half before they fall asleep. So it, it was, it was cool to play on Christmas in Utah. It was a white Christmas where there was snow and it was fun, but it was such a hassle getting in and out of Utah that like family didn't come. You were by yourself. You ate yeah, a we team meal, and you got and we'll you send was you like a video. Yeah, like 
Merry Christmas, everybody on FaceTime. And you try to meet up with everybody when you get back. But if you're on a road trip, that's when it's the worst because you miss Christmas and you're probably missing New Year's too, depending on how long the road trip is. You know what I never understood? What? Why should any New Year's game be past 2 o'clock, New Year's Eve game? I never understood evening games on New Year's Eve. You have Cause to everybody, talk to Because everybody's off. So... I mean, I guess for TV purposes, maybe you have a game late, but and do you think that every team should play on Christmas? No. Just, no. I think it's really cool to have like marquee matchups and marquee games and haven't played in them and not played in them. I think it's cool that there's no games on Christmas Eve. That is so dope because teams are either traveling or they're at home and able to kind of get ready for Christmas. But to answer your, your other question, we play the Memphis Grizzlies on New Year's Eve. At 5 p.m. Pacific time. Why? And then guess where we're flying after that? Cleveland. Oh, my bad. Philly. Sorry. So you're celebrating in the air? I guess we're staying the night. Like, have you done that before? Like, what do teams tip- typically do? do you- <clears throat> Bring something, pop it on the plane. Uh, Happy New Year. Take a sip and go to sleep. <laughs> Random yeah, funny that, story from one of my uh, sideline games on Christmas uh, I forget what year it was, um, but I did a Christmas game and I get home and like a week later, they're doing a story in the news about some guy who shot up a gym and I think might have even killed somebody, but at least sent him to the hospital. And they put up his image, which is his last Instagram post. And it was a Christmas image of him in a Christmas hat. And clear as day on the screen right behind him is me just filling up the screen, doing a live hit. And like, that's not that's not what I want to be remembered for. Is <laughs> what that guy was watching story before was he went out on a murderous <laughs> rampage. But uh, yeah, that was pretty funny. <laughs> That's wild. Mm, mm, mm. But I'm, I appreciate you guys spending time, Izzy, as always. Mark, appreciate you spending some time. If there's anything else you guys wanted to touch on, please. Swagoo. Oh, wait. on it now. <laughs> Otherwise, we appreciate all our listeners out there tuning in. As always, I got to get ready to head to my Christmas event with the kids. I, I'm wishing everybody a happy holiday. Merry Christmas. Um, and what? Happy Kwanzaa. Hey, is there going to be spiked eggnog at this event for the uh, adults? No, no, because you, you can't risk the kids potentially drinking someone accidentally or on purpose. I can't be responsible for a, an event for teens in which there's alcohol in the premise. Uh, that's, a good, that's a good point. I just asked a question. You could probably go to the bar in the bowling alley and get something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I might, I might show up. Okay. So was, yeah. I was curious. <laughs> Perfect. Well, Izzy, I hope you have a, a great holiday season, and I think we'll be off for a little bit. Happy New Year. I'm sure yours will be better than mine in Memphis. Um, enjoy. I guess.